In this episode, I'm joined by Desmond Dixon from Remote Sales Manager. We're going to discuss how he made the transition from chemical engineer into sales, which ultimately led him into starting his own business. He now runs a multiple eight-figure agency whilst he travels the world full-time. I'll see you in the episode. Desmond, thank you so much for joining me. Would love to just kick things off by just asking for a brief background on yourself and what Remote Sales Manager is. Yeah, yeah. So my name is Desmond Dixon. I'm a professional speaker and I travel the world and build sales teams. And uh, right now, Remote Sales Manager is a agency focused on fractional sales leadership. And that's where we train, manage and uh, actually recruit the salespeople, you know, for founders uh, all around the world. So it's a cool, cool gig, man. Awesome. And how long have you been doing that for? Now going on three years, but really it, it's kind of crazy because the business changed a lot over three years. I'll say this current version of it's been around for about a year now, a year and some change. Uh, before when I was just doing just consulting and okay. like recruiting for free until I found out people were paying for it. And I was like, because I'm a sales guy, I didn't know about like, you know, recruiters. And I was like, yo, so I got into the, the recruiting game and, and added another revenue stream that way as well. Got you. Very cool. And uh, what type of clients do you work with? So really high ticket. So like professional services, so like other agencies um, and then technology. So that seems to be like my sweet spot. So there's usually a 25 to 75 K like LTV. So lifetime value. Um, Cause that's when you need a salespeople salesperson, right? To have that kind of conversation with someone. So I try to stay away from e-commerce, not too many coaches unless they're like um, have established revenue and established systems because trying to build a systems from scratch can be really tough uh, for solopreneurs. Right. So uh, that's kind of our sweet spots, the more professional services and, and technology kind of people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, very cool. Well, as you know, on this podcast, you know, we like to dive, uh, kind of rewind the kind of the wheel with this and rewind the clock and, and focus on how you made that jump into entrepreneurship. So can you kind of talk us through your journey into starting this business? You know, is this your first venture? Yeah, so this is my second venture, technically. So I was uh, I was a chemical engineer in college, decided I didn't want to do that after internships and went into sales. Uh, my first sales job, I failed miserably. It was door-to-door sales one summer. Got fired, knocked on a thousand doors. Um, and then I went all in because I was like, yo, is this engineering guy trying to do sales? I was like, yo, like, what am I missing? I can't solve the equation, right? Um, but uh, <laughs> so I like, I was so fascinated with this. I went all in and like studied it and got obsessed with helping other people win. And that was like my secret to my sales success. So I did millions in corporate and then, you know, I was like, do I want to stay in corporate? Heck no. I was like, I don't like where my life is going. I'm making all this money, but I'm unhappy because I'm answering to these people that I hate to say, I don't want to bash, but I was like, I don't want to answer to these people and I don't want to be where they are. So I, wanted, I left, right? So I left and uh, began a company called Joylistic and I grew that to three different cities. It was a holistic wellness into corporations. That business failed when the pandemic happened because there are no more events. There are no more massages. There are no more like yeah, yeah, yeah. in-person things. So the business just stopped overnight. And people were just asking me, hey, how did you grow so fast? Because I was a sales guy. All I did was just pick up a phone and cold call. Like that's how I got in, like cold call people. Yeah. And uh, gave some gave some game for free. And it was like, you know, people kept introducing me to people. And there you know, I'm just doing high ticket sales again and, and uh, consulting. 
right? Like I just kind of stumbled into cons- consulting, and uh, yeah, just turned it into a business from there. Yeah. I always say that sales leaders, those with a sales background, find it easier to jump into entrepreneurship because I think a lot of aspects of being in a sales role. You kind of have to rely on yourself anyway. There's a lot of similarities between running your own business and being able to scale and grow that business and what you have to do with sales. I always talk about, you know, my story with my previous company where I switched to a 100% commission only role. And in order to make six figures, I knew I had to sell over $2 million worth of services. In my head, I'm thinking if I can sell $2 million worth of services, why can't I do that for myself? And that really gave me kind of the inspiration to say, hey, like this is not as hard as I I think people are painting the picture to be. Like maybe I should make that jump. You know, how important is that sales background for you when you thought about making that leap out of corporate to start that first business? Yeah, so I think it helps with moving the money needle and mm-hmm. actually doing business because I think that most I've, I've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of entrepreneurs. I've enrolled a bunch of different entrepreneurs to different high ticket programs and things like that. And at the end of the day, like you got to convert, right? Like that if you don't convert, you don't have a business. But one thing I learned, though, in business, though, you have all these other things that as a salesperson, you're not like you don't know. Right. Like operations, customer success. Like, dude, I'm a sales guy. Yeah. I'm not an ops person. Right. I, I hate it. <laughs> So learning the operation side has been the biggest learning curve for me personally. Um, but uh, yeah, the sales thing has definitely helped me p- tremendously. And I think every entrepreneur, if you're thinking about getting starting a business, you got to learn sales right away. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I do agree that we've actually just brought on a, uh, a project management consultant to help with that because we're, we're growing and growing and growing. And I'm sitting there thinking, I can't spend all day in ClickUp creating tasks. Like, this is a lot. Like, I need some help with this. And I know that's my weakness. And that was an issue we ran into when we first started is I knew I could, clo- I could close deals. We started closing all these deals. Whereas with the software development industry when I, or the business, when I was doing that, somebody else had to fill them. I just kept closing them over and over again. Whereas when it's your own business, you've got to do the stuff on the backside as well. And that was uh, an interesting learning curve for me, kind of going from trying to sell as much as possible to then trying to focus really on just quality and what I could really manage myself. And, you know, I made that mistake growing very, very quickly and kind of had to dial it back. And now we have a much more structured approach with doing that. Oh, yeah, man. Like, and it's all about, like, what are you trying to scale to? Because you as a salesperson, you just start selling. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, I don't have enough time for all of this. <laughs> right? Like, so you have to like, it's a lot of, uh, I think early on, a lot of experimenting to figure out what's the perfect glove that's mm-hmm. repeatable, but also you don't leave any money on the table either as well. I think it's, so it's, a, it's a fun dance, man. I think it's, uh, it's, it's definitely fun, man. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I do want to touch on, because I think it's going to be very applicable to a lot of people that are listening right now, is you're in the corporate world. You're not enjoying it. You don't like answering to whoever. Um, You're making a lot of money, though, and then you want to make that jump into entrepreneurship. How important is the financial benefit from being in corporate? Like, how did you make that decision in your head? Did you say, hey, I'm going to make the same amount I'm making? And if you're willing to share, you know, we'd love you to share as well. Hey, I'm making X amount now, but I know if I make a jump into entrepreneurship, all I need to do is make this to keep my head above water. Or was it a case of I'm going to become an entrepreneur because I want to make even more money? Okay, so for me to jump, it was more for I'm betting on myself because I got to this point. I was making, you know, I was having like 15K months, bro, right? 14K mm-hmm. months. I was in the middle of signing a $2 million deal for a big facility um, um, down, in, down in Louisiana. 
And I had I was about to I'm like in the middle of this deal, and I'm like, if this if I if this if, if I get this commission check, there's no way in hell I'm leaving. Like it's like I'm I am super cuffed, right? Because usually the next yeah. deal, then there's going to be another deal right after that, right? There's that, always there's always another. It's deal. always one that, more. That's the hard part, yeah. Yes. So I was like, yo, I bet on myself. I'm this chemical engineer that did nothing about sales. I built this million multi million dollar book of business. Why can't I do it again? Mm-hmm. Right. That's the question I told myself, and like walking away was. I didn't even walk to anything. I didn't even know if I was going to get into entrepreneurship. I literally walked away, moved to California because I was living in Denver at the time. And I was just like doing a lot of personal development of like, okay, what do I want to do? And I just started doing stuff that I was interested in, which at the time was meditation and like yoga and all these different things. I started, oh, let me bring this to the office. So I just did it as a lifestyle business and just like trusted myself. I think that's the lesson in this. It's like just trust yourself because you're an intelligent human being. Like you have skills you will literally find a way to not only keep the lights on, but thrive and grow as a human being, right? If you trust yourself, I think it's the lesson in this. I will say sometimes it does take your back against the wall for you to actually take action. And I found that as well. It's a lot of people that I'm consulting with right now have been laid off and they're going, I don't want to go and get another job. I don't want to have to have somebody else control my financial independence or my financial situation. So now I'm going to start my own marketing agency. Now I'm going to go and start my own business. So I will say, you know, having that back against the wall mentality, it does allow you to take action. But that being said, not everybody that goes and starts a business is going to go from making 150 grand a year, you know, 200 grand a year in corporate to replacing that in the first year. How much did you make in that first year? And was that enough to survive? Were you thriving? Like what was kind of that mentality as you were getting into starting that business in the first 12 months of entrepreneurship? Man, dude, I think my first year, I'm thinking about my taxes, right? I think I was like at like 60 grand, maybe like something like I wasn't making as much money at first, but I had so much more freedom. I was living where I wanted to live. I was doing what I wanted to do. And then obviously your income just increases year over year, right? Like, I mean, now we're, I think, you know, we're, we're doing pretty good, man. Like I just had my biggest month, right? Still this month, it's, it's, we, we know it's the whole month, but I have my biggest month this month since I like left corporate, right? Um, and um, yeah, man, but it's so much more than the money too, though. Yes, I'm making money. It's great. Like it's, I can see the, I can see the, the bags getting filled and buying more like, you know, investments and all the things, but it's the freedom part. Right. Like I, I enjoy the part that I'm traveling the world. I can take off whenever I want. I can hire. I can scale or I can fire clients if I want. I have the freedom. If I don't mm-hmm. like working with this person, I have the ability to, to walk away. Right. So um, I think the freedom part is the more important because the money is just money, man. It's just a, it's an ends to a mean and it creates obviously you have bills to pay. But I think the freedom part is the part I enjoy most out of corporate. Yeah. And I will say with with the money side of it, once you hit a certain amount, to me, it's diminishing returns. And that's what I found in terms of our monthly revenue, like once we hit 20 to 25 grand a month as an agency, and again with a small team, it became diminishing returns to continue to push past that. And that was a mistake. We grew very, very quickly. We grew to, you know, 40, 50,000 a month in the first, you know, six months. And I remember looking and thinking, I'm still working 100 hours a week. Why, like, why am I doing this? What's the point? This is not the goal of why I wanted to start an agency. So I do think there is the diminishing returns effect that you have with the money. And, and 
for those listening, like it's almost a, you have to get there to figure that out. Like everybody, I, I didn't believe it when I was first doing it. Like you have to almost get to that point and figure it out. But the freedom that having your own business, especially when you work remote, and, and it sounds crazy now that, you know, marketing and sales roles aren't all remote, but there are companies that are mandating going to an office to be a digital marketer or to be a sales leader, to be an SDR, to be an account executive. Like there are companies that are still mandating that. And it's interesting on this podcast because I'm in an RV in Myrtle Beach right now, recording this while traveling around you know, the country. And where are you at the moment? Oh man, I'm in Bangkok, Thailand for the for the quarter, man. <laughs> Traveling the region, man. So Bangkok's my base, and I'm um, going down to the islands, going to Japan, um, going back to Europe in the spring. Travel around Europe for the next six eight months between spring and summer, all for my laptop. It's great. <laughs> and are you working the whole time? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm like getting more savage with my time when I first started traveling. I mean, I was taking a lot of calls because that was just mm-hmm. the nature of the beast. But now I'm like taken almost when i say chris man i am if i if you're not giving me money or like you don't pay me or the agency like there's no way i'm i I don't even i won't even take calls anymore i because i'm like i want to focus on traveling right like that's my motto for the next six to eight months so um yeah man i wouldn't trade it for the world man at all yeah no it's 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 amazing watching your journey you have a little bit more freedom than i would say uh, I'm out at the moment. I'm a little envious. Just I have a, I have a dog, so I can't leave and go international right now. It's the biggest problem. We always joke about my wife and I say, like, "Hey, like we'd be sat in Bali right now if it wasn't for this bloody dog." Like she sat there. Like <laughs> that's we've literally made we, we've converted an RV to be able to travel around and obviously have her with us. Like she's part of the family. Like we're all that millennial, no kids with a dog. You know, we're, we're in that phase right now. Um, so for us, like that allows us to travel around, and that's. Uh, that was our goal is to travel around the US more and to have more of that freedom. Um, where are you Where are you looking to go into Europe? Like what are the, the plans for the future? Yeah, man. So, um, yeah, so Europe is the next stop for us. So like uh, Spain, we're going to apply for residency there because I have a new a visa just so we can travel to Schengen when we want. Um, Albania, then uh, Switzerland, Iceland, UK, all those things are booked. And then I'm pretty much booked out till October. And then I'm going to decide to go to Latin America because Mexico is on my list of places. Peru and um, Antarctica is also on my list of places. Or do we go back to Bali? <laughs> because I love Bali too, man. Um, but yeah, man, with the agency, like, I learned that, like, we don't need to scale so fast, so hard. Like, mm-hmm. it's cool. Like, you know, we can make 700 grand a year and, like, that's okay. Like, and spin off the more scalable stuff, which is, like, a recruiting agency so like that's kind of my plan right now i have a team of people sales guys and operations person that's just going to help me place people but i'm like yo i just i'm gonna keep my consulting company my fractional leadership stuff and then just spin out my recruiting business and then let that be its own standalone thing and then focus more on public speaking me my my time right getting more on stages pay speaking speaking opportunities so that's kind of my plan for the year speak more travel more work less build another subsidiary technically with the team so that's my move and are you finding when you're going to these individual locations that you have are you meeting with clients are you doing speaking engagements there already or is this purely hey i want to go to iceland so we're going to go to iceland yeah a lot of it's like i want to go to this place so it's on my bucket list so i'm going to go there right like um and i just plan around that um i did have a speaking engagement last year that i went to that i traveled planning around that was in portugal 
Um, but yeah, I'm just gonna fly anywhere that's where it's a cool speaking opportunity. I'm gonna fly. It doesn't matter. It's I'll, it's nothing but a plane ticket, man. Right? <laughs> it's a yeah, sky yeah. bus. Yeah. And are you when you get to these locations? Are you are you renting Airbnbs? Are you staying in hotels? Like, what's the? I guess what do you do for kind of accommodation? So at first I was doing a lot of Airbnbs. Like right now I'm in an Airbnb. Um, I do like long booking, so I pick a place for two to four months, and then I travel the region. So I'm here okay. in Bangkok for three months, then I'm traveling to all these different places from Bangkok because they have a major airport. But I recently discovered Bookings.com. Like I love it because like first I just booked a trip for tomorrow, like last night. I was like, oh, I want to go to the beach. So we're going to go to the beach tomorrow. And I found something on Booking.com for like 75% off at this resort. And I'm like, yo, it's a no-brainer, right? It's less than the ticket to get there, right? Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I got hip to Booking.com, which is pretty great. And I try to avoid hotels long stay unless I'm like laying over somewhere just because like the quality and the price just – I prefer an Airbnb because you get more space and – you know what I mean? But um, yeah. but the hotels in Bali are dope. Like, I think Bali is a place where I'll, if I was going for 10 days, I'll go there, stay in a hotel or resort. Um, but it just depends on the region, man, for sure, I think. Yeah. Okay, cool. And as you've gone through this, obviously, entrepreneurship journey, you know, I always say it's not all sunshines and, and rainbows. And maybe it is with your no. experience. For me, it's not always been, you know, this amazing experience. And, you know, I think there is the there is the tendency to make things look a lot better than they are. Uh, obviously, traveling around the world, I mean, it's, it sounds amazing. Other issues that you found, are there any, I guess, big roadblocks that you've run into that you'd be willing to share kind of as you've you know, launched this kind of the first two years of running your own agency and consulting firm? Uh, when we went from like 60K, 70K to like 120K, like the next year, 120, 140K, and now we're doing like pretty big, uh, pretty good numbers. Um, when I framed my first six figure year was tough because of people like managing other people within the organization and like coming up with proper systems to make sure things are getting done. And then also like, am I hiring the right people to move the money needle or like to get things done? Like, do you just start like I was hiring people to do stuff and I didn't need them to do those things in my mind. I thought I needed those things, but I really, it, I, I didn't need that. I didn't need to hire that person to do that task. So I think like just understanding managing people in different places and so now i have like incentive structures where i pay my subcontractors my people based upon like results that they provide right it is my my video editor he gets paid per video like it's i pay people like per their performance not like this fixed retainer so to speak right and that was a big yeah. lesson for me for cash flow so i can turn the dials up or down right so i can make sure i'm at a 50 yeah. percent profit or more every month right so I think that was my biggest lesson because I almost failed, like because I grew too fast and I lost a big client, like my big all my eggs in one basket, and I was like, man, the stock market was going down, my housing, like I had to like sell my house because my uh, tennis wasn't it was what's paying rent, and so that was a big lesson for me for cash flow and then diversified revenue. So now we have three different revenue streams, but back then I only had one consulting retainer. Now I have technically four because I have a performance bonus too where we get 50K for hitting certain milestones, right? So just diversifying revenue and then uh, uh, attach attaching like my subcontractors uh, payments to tangible milestones and performances. I think that was the big the biggest lessons I learned by far. Yeah, that, that's a great point. And to anyone listening, whether you're looking at starting a marketing agency, a sales agency, whatever that is, when you 
directly attach the performance of the subcontractors to the results and therefore also tie that into how you charge clients what you alluded to there with dialing up and dialing down that means if i'm paying if i'm charging five thousand a month and i'm paying a subcontractor a thousand a month if i lose that client i just take one client off that subcontractor they may manage they may manage three or four you know clients for us but it allows you to be very very um flexible with that and that allows you to stay in control the problem is when when you have someone that's five grand a month or ten grand a month that you're paying that puts you in a real sticky situation like you say if you do lose a big client and suddenly you have to still pay them or you have to discuss hey we need to reduce your hours like that's not a fun conversation obviously to have with individuals so anytime you can tie them together that allows you to stay in control and also keeps you very very lean and you then keep this very high profit margin which in the agency game especially when you get to the stage where we're at right now where i don't manage all of the individual ad accounts myself i have guys that are doing that i do more of the client management and more of the client kind of face to face with the clients that allows you to take more of a step out of the business as well and still regain that control and profitability yeah, I haven't figured out the getting away from the client-facing part yet, but when you figure that out, let me know, because it's yeah, like... I'm, I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure that out, right? That's why I'm trying to do the, the, the recruiting side. I'm like, okay, no more management contracts. Let's do more recruiting, because um, it could be draining, right, over time. That's another thing I think we an honest conversation to have. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely can be, You could, and you can burn out with just that just with client interfacing because if you have i mean for us i mean we have uh you know series a we have series c clients we've got clients that you know are obviously a lot more demanding and a lot more you know expensive than you know some of our smaller clients where we kind of got it across the board um but you find that you can really spend a lot of time with one client but if that client isn't the one that's paying you know the large retainer that's where you need to have those conversations either with the client or you know internally say hey, listen this is not a profitable client for us right now we need to figure out what we're going to do with this um and and do we yeah do we fire a client do we let them go like we've i mean we've had those situations and those conversations with clients and normally it actually goes very well they're usually very receptive to it um but i've had the you know it's not a fun conversation to have with clients yeah i i uh do a soft exit you i mean this is a whole episode by itself it's like how to fire <laughs> clients i think like leaving them better how you found them is important so like i would say hey this is what the transition is going to look like but you know, we're going to end the relationship, but I don't need like say, hey, you're you're done. But it's like more about just transitioning out. And now you open up all this energy and space to get more of those heavy, those um, dream clients. Right. I did that last week. I think last month we fired like two clients and then we got two new clients that paid us three times more money. Right. So like those, within like two weeks. Right. Of each other. So um, I think it's important energetically to not be so attached when you leave your job. And, um, you know, you build your book of business and you feel like, you know, if you have a client that you want to get rid of, I think it's okay to like, you know, gracefully exit to give yourself space to get that, replace someone else there, right? They pay you more money. And you'll find as you grow an agency as well, your clients, they, they evolve, they change, you know, who you get when you first start out typically are not going to be the clients that are going to be with you in two, three years time. Like they start to, as you get more of a reputation, you can attract larger clients. You can attract more, you know, enterprise size clients. You know, you can attract just clients with bigger budgets or, you know, on the marketing side. So that is constantly going to evolve. So it's very natural to move out of certain clients and basically to progress yourself because your retainers typically are going to increase as well. And you can basically start to price out some of the earlier clients as you, figure it out and get a lot better really and that's where again you know when, when people are looking to start the first agency and they say hey i'm gonna charge this much I'm like, before you start 
increase your prices. Just get something so you're at least comparable with the companies that are like really starting out. Like you don't need to charge a thousand a month. Like go ahead in there, charge three, four thousand a month. Like get some kind of perceived value with that, and then you can start to increase your retainers from there. Because across the spectrum, there are marketing agencies that, and I, I know agencies that to manage, you know, LinkedIn ads, for instance, there are agencies that are going to charge five hundred bucks a month. And there are agencies that are going to charge 30000 a month. And it is everyone in between. So it's about figuring out where you want to kind of fit into that. And pricing it, like you're saying, there's a whole other episode that we can get into. Uh, but it's something that really allows you to have that perceived value as you start to increase the quality of the services that you offer as well. You know, price is very, very directly correlated to that. Yeah, I, man, we could go, I love pricing, man. You're like, if, if. Man, this is this is so I get so excited to talk about this because it's like sales, right? Um, I think being cheap is the worst decision you can ever make. Like, yeah. don't ever be cheap because you're literally going to like regret it. You're going to type all your time, and it's it's um, and usually the clients that pay cheap are not the best. They would expect the most of your time, right? Like my favorite clients yeah. right now are the ones that I'm like seventy five k contracts. And we'd only talk like every two weeks, right? Because they're just like, we're just doing our thing. Like we're working, we talk in the Slack. Like we don't need to talk, but the clients I did like cheaper stuff with every, almost every day, like wants to jump on a t call, right? So I think that's also an, a, a lesson. So don't be afraid to charge. And then um, I think performance contracts are fire. I would drop some fire for your audience here, man. So like whatever your retainer is, cool. Add on a performance clause where it's like if you hit a certain milestone, you get an X, you get a bonus. That's a great negotiation tool because you can always take it off the table to get things started today, right? Hey, if you we can start this trial for three to six months, not do a twelve month contract, and then renegotiate the bonus, right? So that's my little. That's, we could do another episode on this, but that's a little 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 game that I do to close deals at a high level. Yeah, I think no, I, I think the 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 bonus the incentive structure in there definitely is, is especially on a marketing like we have a client that's going to spend a big budget like we've done hybrid retainer plus commission structures and that's been quite interesting as well so we'll you know we'll discount our retainer a little bit and then we get commission on any of the deals um tracking it on some of the clients can be a little bit difficult obviously it takes a little bit of time to do that and a lot of it is honestly just on kind of the honor system that we have with with our clients but we basically make sure that our costs effectively are covered by the retainer and then we all have the upside once they do well and that allows them to obviously spend more into marketing it basically aligns both of our incentives and we've done that and had a lot of success with those campaigns in the past uh to be able to continue to scale that and final thing i'll say on pricing is you know what i found is that there are basically three buckets when it comes to pricing so you have your you know your lower bucket if you fall into that lower bucket your client is paying you to tell you what to do so when you charge, and you have to think about this when you think about what you're going to charge. So if you charge, if you're cheap, a client is hiring you and then they expect to tell you what to do. Then there's a second bucket, which is a, you know, a medium price. Then the client is hiring you and they're expecting you to know what to do. And then there's the higher tier. And that's when a client pays you because they want to be told what to do and they're going to leave you alone. And that's the three different tiers. And when you stay in the second and third tiers, and it varies on industry, it varies on the type of clients and the work that you're going to be doing. But when you stay in those second and specifically the third tier, those are the best clients to work with. They're so much easier to work with because they are hiring you for your expertise, not because of the fact you can press buttons on a keyboard 
which is what clients are expecting in that first tier. And I don't know what the inflection point is with specific industries. It does change. But if you can stay out of that first tier, you have a much more scalable and profitable energy because you're not going to sink time into clients that expect the world, but they only want to spend, you know, 500, 1,000 bucks a month, which is when a lot of marketers are starting out. I have marketers like, hey, I'm going to run an agency. We're going to charge 1,000 bucks a month to manage ad accounts. But what are you doing? That's... That's such a headache. Like, it's not worth it. It's like, oh, but I only want to do it on the side. It doesn't matter. You need to get out of that first, that cheap tier, because it's so hard to, once you've made a name in the cheap tier, it's so hard to get your clients to pay more or to go and find more clients because you've got this so reputation hard. now of being cheap. Yeah. I would say let, nothing less than 2K a month, personally. Like, I know you talk about 4 or 5K a month, which I think is valid because you're running, like, full, like, cycle We've got, um, we got, client, we got services. clients on 15, yeah. 15 20, 20K a month now. Like, that's the – as we progress, like, it's the size of the clients. Like, it all progresses up from there. Um, starting off, yeah, 3 to 5K is, like, smallest clients will do now in terms of um, – our retainer fees but we also offer a lot more things we have graphic design we have video editing we have project management like we offer a lot more than just a one-man marketing yeah. show right now but again if you're a one-man yeah if you're a one-man show 25 to three and a half grand is probably the minimum that i'd look to and that's a side gig that's on top that's on top of your full-time job and that's working with a couple of small clients i wouldn't go less than that yeah and now yeah in ad spend too probably if you do 2k 2k plus percentage of ad spend right yeah, we're getting deep right here into specifics, but I love I love talking about pricing and sales, man. We could do this all day. <laughs> We're going to take a quick moment to pause this episode and thank our sponsors. First, we've got the first sponsor, which is True Classic, the clothing company. As you all know from all of my content, I've been wearing True Classic for the last 18 months, and it truly is the staple of my wardrobe. What I find is that a lot of the clothes that I buy previously were all too baggy. They didn't fit right. The best part about True Classic, not only is it incredibly soft, but for those of you that have broader shoulders, that have larger arms, who just tend to be a little bit more athletic, the fit is absolutely amazing. It makes you look great. And a lot of people call these really the push-up bras for guys. I can tell you, when you wear these t-shirts, you look good. If you're interested in trying True Classic, there's going to be a link in the description of this episode. This can be my personal link, or you can go to trueclassics.com com slash the chris roach go ahead check out the store i guarantee you you will not be sorry if you start wearing true classics if you do end up purchasing them please let me know what you purchased i'm curious to hear feedback Moving on to our second sponsor, which is the Independent Marketer, which is an online course and community that I've created to be able to teach digital marketers how to go out and break out of the golden handcuffs and ultimately launch either their own freelancing career or build it into their own digital marketing agency. In the description, there's going to be a link to that course. And as a thank you for listening to this podcast, there's going to be a special $100 discount on that course as well. If you do have any questions on that, please feel free to reach out to me directly or shoot me a message on LinkedIn. Back to the episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's 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 switch gears then, because I, I know we've gone down this this rabbit hole now. So let's switch gears. Uh, in terms of your team, you know, do you travel by yourself? Do you travel with team members? Do you travel with you know significant others? Kind of what's the what's the format right now of when you are traveling around and going to these different locations? It's just me and my girl, man. We've been doing it for I think sixteen months now, eighteen months, something like that. I don't even know how long. And is your team then all? US-based, international, spread out. International, man, all over the world, all different time zones. Some in Texas, uh, some, a guy in Texas, a guy in uh, South Carolina, someone in Croatia. I have somebody in Bangladesh, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, two people in Bangladesh. 
that do like kind of like you know the you know the two dollar an hour task right three dollar an hour task that the busy work that needs to be done um yeah man so all over the world man all different time zones so one of the things that i hear a lot from marketers that you know a little bit hesitant uh go out on their own besides from obviously imposter syndrome which seems to be a, a huge issue for a lot of marketers but the uh, the loneliness of i want to work with it I, I you know i like going into the office i like being able to work with people like going out on my own especially when you first start a lot of it it's, it's you like you don't have a team when you first start off typically uh so it's just you that's doing it did you ever hit that kind of position where you got lonely did you ever hit a time where you thought about maybe going back to corporate uh no because i've always been a lone wolf because when i was in sales you're on an island so i've always been on an island so it wasn't a big deal for me but at the end of the day if you're an entrepreneur you should be talking to people every day anyway you don't feel lonely because you're supposed to be like talking to people like every day you don't sit in a dark room and scheme all day you know you go out and you reach out to people through email you cold call you DMs, you network, you go to events, you go to coffee shops, you go to co-working spaces, no matter what city you're in, to maybe meet and mingle, go to different events. So like, just because you're an entrepreneur doesn't mean you're by yourself. You still should be actively in front of people because that's the only way you're going to get business is talking to people. No one's not going to, if you're first starting out, going to say, call you up, Brandon, be like, hey, I want to buy your services that I didn't know existed yet because I didn't know that you lost your job because, you know what I mean? Like, you got to go out and be active, proactive as an yeah. entrepreneur. So there's no loneliness in the beginning i know for sure yeah no that's that's a good point it, again it's not something i particularly have suffered with um or struggled with this kind of the loneliness side and again you know i obviously travel with my wife and and our dog and you know that's that to me i that's that's why i do what we do you know i i, I started catalyst to provide freedom for us casey now actually works full-time for catalyst which was a huge milestone for for me to be able to have her leave the school that she was in she didn't like it she wasn't enjoying it and she was able to then leave and come and work for catalyst uh that was a big milestone for us to now both be completely dependent on catalyst and that's something that a lot of people are going well aren't, aren't you scared doesn't that seem risky well no because now now we control everything there's no one <laughs> you can't fire us now i can't fire myself like well, i guess i technically could but there's no you know there's there's no way that there's this massive go from making this to zero which is what happened to me previously and that pissed me off you know that really irritated me when i realized that hey i've gone from making six figures to making nothing in a, a weekend you know friday friday i was making six figures by monday i was making nothing like that i remember the conversation having that conversation with my former ceo i'm thinking now what am i going to do and that obviously led me to starting catalyst um can you talk a little bit about the the risk and perhaps stability of entrepreneurship versus having that in-house job yeah I, I, it's at the end of the day like maybe this sounds counterintuitive but not everyone's meant to be an entrepreneur maybe they it depends on their personality and and their goals in life but if you're a person that like obviously wants to grow challenge yourself have a little bit more freedom to give your time right like just because you're an entrepreneurship you might work more hours in the beginning but you get to decide what those hours get to be and not being dictated from someone else. And so I think that's a big thing. Um, I, I, I think a, a lot of it when it comes down to an entrepreneurship is like having the guts to like bet on yourself and then understanding that you might fail. And if you do fail, it's okay. Usually if you are very good at your job, you're very good at a skill, you will be okay. Like my backup plan was like, oh, if I fail, I'll just go be a sales guy and yeah. go make 150 grand, 250,000 dollars a year. 
Or if I fail at sales, I'm gonna be a chemical engineer. Okay, it's my backup. I'm call my professors like, yo, I need a job. Call somebody. I need, I, I, I need a job. Right. So like, you have something to fall upon. Like, just go all in. You have nothing. Like, you have no risk really. The risk is like not. I think the biggest risk is like knowing that you want to do something, and then like sitting on that and letting it fester and wondering why did I not do that. Right. At least if you go and do it, if you succeed, knock it off the park. Wow, life will never be the same. If you fail, it's okay. Maybe you learn something and start something something different because you learned something, or maybe you just go get another get a job for a year and say I'm gonna do it again. I'm gonna try again in another year, right? But I think if you have the thought of doing it, you gotta do it, man. I I want to give you too much advice. Like you obviously do your own thing, but just don't sit on it because you'll literally hate yourself in five or ten years <laughs> when you can't yeah, leave because you have responsibilities and you have yeah. It's the regret. It, it, I think that's that's a, a key part of this. Is the regret is one of the biggest factors that people talk about when they look back on it, and it's like, hey, like I regretted not doing this earlier. I've had other conversations with with Mark at the start of their agency since they got laid off in the last six months, and I I've wanted to do this for ten years, but it took me getting laid off to actually go and do that. And it's like there's a lot of people in that situation right now, and the caveat that I will say to that is, you don't have to quit and go cold turkey. You don't have to start and just decide, right, I'm going to go run an agency, so I'm going to quit my day job. You can build this up. There's levels to this shit. Like You don't have to just go all into it. You can get one or two clients, get to the point where maybe you're making three to 5K a month retainer. Now my mortgage, my health insurance, my bills, that's covered. So if I want to make the jump now, instead of working 40 hours a week at my job and 10 hours a week on the side, now I can work 10 hours on my job to cover my expenses and I've just got another 40 hours a week back to decide if I want to scale this, if I want to grow this, like whatever the situation is. That to me is how you make that logical jump into starting this. But if you've just been laid off or you've been let go or you've you know, just quit because you're in burnout, which is a massive industry in the tech, a massive issue in the tech industry right now. If you just quit and you're debating doing it, just do it. Just start, see what happens, because in six months' time, you're probably going to look back and either go, I wish I'd started sooner, I can't believe actually how successful I'm doing, and I've already replaced my salary, and I realized I can do it with two clients, or you're in a situation where, hey, this really isn't for me, but at least I tried, and now I'm going to go and get another job anyway. But at least my expenses have been covered for six months. Like, there's no real risk of starting if you, like kind of what we alluded to earlier, if your back's against the wall, just start. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, and I think this easily... Um segments into personal branding like if you're even thinking about it then you need to start branding yourself like asap <laughs> i think because mm -hmm. like that compounds over time and that helps get that first client it makes that transition so much smoother it's like having some type of like brand already established so let's or talk about that with going in the right with direction person, with personal branding how do you start then i've like once again i hate to come back beat a dead horse but getting in front of people and communicating with people outside of your bubble, right? Outside of your, I guess, your your spirit. So going out, networking, meeting new people online and offline as well. And then also posting content. So uh, there's lots of different strategies. You can go be guests on other people's podcasts. You can start a podcast. You can start a blog. You can start a Substack. Like you, there's so many different things that you can do to become a thought leader and authority and establish that, and, it's, and if you get a six-month head start before you leave your job on that, it's just going to make that transition so much smoother than co-starting it. And that's the question I get: is you know, hey, I want to, I want to start an agency, but I, I have a full-time job. I want to get a couple clients on the side, and I want to build a personal brand. But how do I build a personal brand without the company knowing I'm going to leave? 
if you're leaving in six months, who cares? Just do it. Just start. What are they going to do? Fire you because you posted on LinkedIn? It makes zero sense. Like you're attracting business in the right way. And there is actually a tactful way to do this when you focus on education rather than, hey, come work for me. Hey, this is how I would do this if I were hired to run your accounts. This is my strategy with running LinkedIn accounts. This is my strategy for demand generation. There is a very clever way to do this where you can still have that impact with the personal brand without necessarily announcing, hey, I've got an agency. And then when you do, you build up an audience for six months. And that's what it takes. It takes six to 12 months to start getting any kind of real traction with this. And that's the investment in time you need to think about this. And that's where, again, best part for me, beginning of the year, look at it, say, hey, between January and July, do I get any traction with it? Have an exit plan. Have a strategy for getting out of there. Like You don't have to sit and, and think about this the whole time. There are steps and actionable steps you can take to be able to make that leap into entrepreneurship without just going kind of cold turkey into it. Oh, man, you killed it, man. And we'll even, we'll even give them one little sales game. So, yeah, you start the personal brand. But while you're working at the, the place you're working, start to build your dream hundred list of, who are going to be my my hundred my hundred clients, and add them add those people to your orbit. Reach you know connect with them on LinkedIn with personalized like touches and engage with them on LinkedIn. Like, like there's nothing wrong with being a human. Like you can't get fired or you won't be penalized for being a human or a good human being. And let them you know consume your content. And then when you announce your business, boom, you have your your your, your dream hundred's been consuming your content, and engaging with you for six months. The more likely, the, like the, the chance of you actually converting is substantially higher than you just starting then, right? So um, I love it, man. I think uh, just just doing it, not, just not having no fear. If you're going to do it, do it. Final point we'll make on this, um, and I'll actually take that a step further. If you are looking, you've got your list of Dream 100 accounts, and this is really getting into the weeds with some sales of starting agencies here. But you've got your 100 accounts, connect with them on LinkedIn. This can be when you've got a full-time job. Start a podcast where you interview your dream clients on the biggest problems they face with specific services that you want to offer. So if you want to start a marketing agency, go and connect with your 100 clients and then go and invite them onto your podcast where you talk about B2B marketing. You talk about sales. You talk about this because then you're building a relationship with them which is way more deep than the surface level sending messages on LinkedIn. Engaging with content is great. It's a great place to start. If you really want to have an impact with this, take that list make a hundred episodes of a podcast everyone's you know anyone listening thinking oh this is a lot i do two to three a week it, it doesn't take that long you could do this in six months so like, this is very possible uh, to start off plus not everybody's going to say yes maybe 30 percent of people say yes to this start to build out those couple of episodes build those relationships now when you decide you're going to make that jump you can give them a call. You can send them an email. They already know exactly who you are. They probably know your life situation. You know, they know things about you. You have a true personal relationship with them. And they're probably going to know other people in the industry that they can refer to you as well. So if they like you, they're going to send you business as well. And that to me is the critical part of launching a podcast successfully when you initially start and go out on your own. That's what a lot of people miss out on is the ability to use it as a sales tool. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and that's oh, love the, it. Full that's the knock, knockout punch. <laughs> full disclosure, I think I got, I think we, I think the podcast generated like maybe 75% of our revenues have come from the podcast directly or indirectly. Like people we brought on or people who introduced us to people from the pot. Yeah. It's a, it's crazy. 
It's crazy. Yeah, it's 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 absolutely nuts. It's one thing. It's only it's one of the regrets that I had from when I started Catalyst is I didn't start a podcast interviewing VPs of marketing at Series C companies. That's something that I wish I'd I'd started. Um, now I do this podcast to educate because I have a business that's running very very successfully, and I'm, this is more of a passion project for me. But that's one regret that I have when starting Catalyst is that I didn't start the podcast earlier to be able to build those relationships. I chose to go and be a guest on podcasts like yourself. I went on a lot of podcasts, which was great for the personal branding, but it wasn't. It didn't necessarily connect me with exclusively the ICP of who I was going after, which would have been an easier way to build those relationships. You know, when you first start off. Well, hey, man, I really appreciate the time that, you know, you've, you've given us today for this call. Um, really enjoyed the conversation, really enjoyed the insight that you have. And I mean, this has just been a ton of value from your insight into starting businesses, specifically getting into sales. For anyone that's listening that does want to follow you, follow your travels, follow your personal brand, you know, where's the best place for them to you know, reach out to you? Desmond L. Dixon on LinkedIn. I'm hard to miss. That sounds good. Well, we're going we're gonna to make sure we've got all those links in the description um, and uh, we'll be sharing all the links to the website as well. But really appreciate you coming on the, on the episode today, coming on the podcast. It was really a pleasure having you and uh, you know, really looking forward to seeing what these next couple of months look like for you with traveling. Sweet, man. Thanks for having me. And that concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please head into the comments where you'll find all of the available links. If you have any questions on our sponsors, all the links will be in the description. Please stay tuned for the next episode.